0: What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Tuesday to you. It's time for Herd Mentality, formerly known as Twitter Tuesday, rebranded with the outstanding new name as I unveiled yesterday on the podcast, submitted by Travis Wood. And we have renamed this puppy Herd Mentality. I love the new name. It really does such a great job of Capturing what I hope this show becomes. I don't want it to just be your questions. I want questions. I want opinions. I want takes. I want to gather the pulse of Bill's Mafia with these shows and allow you to dictate the discussion. Herd mentality. Let's do it. First one comes from Vin. Vin sent in two terrific items this week. One that I need an extra day to think about, to be completely honest with you. So you'll get to hear uh, that one tomorrow. It's a very challenging personal uh, proposition that I'll have to deal with. But for today, he said, recently on Joe Biscaglia's podcast, they jokingly brought up the idea of trading Sean McDermott for draft picks. Was wondering your take on this. Matt Fairburn would have done it for a first-round pick. I think back to 17 years of bad coaching and say that you can keep your draft picks and I'll keep Sean McDermott. Vin, I am with you 100%. No way, not a chance. I wouldn't think about this for a second, trading Sean McDermott for a first round pick. Inevitably, this would lead to roster and staff turnover. You would literally blow up your entire infrastructure that has carried you out of the drought and restored the promise of the franchise has turned it into a respected franchise across the NFL for a first round pick. Hard, hard, hard pass on this idea. I could not think of one compelling reason to, that would lead me to believe that a first round pick would be worth it to part with Sean McDermott. No way, not a chance. Next one comes from Rob who says, Trey White has not had a wide receiver of Stefan Diggs' skill level to go up against in camp daily up to this point in his career. Do you think that will increase his productivity knowing that iron sharpens iron? Going forward knowing his second contract is around the corner. I think the easy answer here is that yes, it will absolutely help. It will make Trey White a better cornerback because it's going to give him better reps to go up against in practice. And Stephon Diggs, one of the elite route runners in the game, if not the best route runner in the game, and that's going to be great for Trey to have exposure to and for them to challenge each other and for them to pick each other's brains. And it's going to make Trey White a better football player, but maybe it's something that we could take a step further and consider maybe some of the success Trey White had last year when he was a first-team All-Pro was due to him having better looks in practice with John Brown and Cole Beasley in the mix compared to the receivers he was going up against in 2017 and 2018. So I think this is a, a really good talking point that seems obvious on the surface level, but when you start to think, yeah, he was really good last year and he finally had good receivers, now they're even better in terms of who he's going up against in practice. So you can really you know, buy into some hype that Trey White could take another step forward. Because he's going to have better work done in practice. So good good point there, Rob. I like it. Thor says, Any chance that Josh Norman's numbers, very poor high passer rating and completion percentage against, were against number one receivers where he could be better with Trey White and thus covering a lesser target and any chance that Poyer and Hyde would give his side more help and he could actually stand out perhaps in the takeaway-slash-interception department knowing that he's always had good hands. Love the show. Love your energy. Keep doing what you do. Thank you, Thor. Appreciate that. Um, so I did some some studying here. I went back and looked last year at the receivers that you know Josh Norman went up against and, and the guys that he conceded sizable completions and yards against. And it wasn't that Josh Norman got torched by any one player. He struggled with just about everyone he went up against. And Washington didn't move him around. He played left cornerback. He never moved. He was literally always aligned as the left outside cornerback. So therefore, offenses could get whatever matchup they wanted by simply putting that receiver on the outside, on the right side of their formation. Now, in previous years, Josh Norman has moved around a little bit, played left and right, shadowed guys from time to time, but not last year. Now, what's interesting is that Trey White does do some shadowing, but primarily he's a left cornerback. So I'll be interested to see how these matchups go. I think, obviously, the Bills are going to want to make sure Trey White faces the other team's number 1 corner uh receiver and that should lead to more consistently lesser matchups for Josh Norman because if that's the case if Trey Shadows number 1 receivers then Josh Norman won't get whoever just lines up across from him on the on his side of the formation if he's always the left corner. So that um that could lead to some more favorable opportunities for Josh but yeah, I mean of course because you have Trey White you can roll coverage away from Trey White and towards where you need more help, right? Which is presumably the guy that Josh Norman is covering, and you can use Hyde and Poyer in ways that assist in that area. So I do think that the Bills are set up well to help Josh Norman, and and because Trey White is the number one corner, it's going to lead to more favorable matchups for Josh Norman. Chase says, my question is, why the hell didn't the Bills at least kick the tires with Everson Griffin? I've seen him as a decent fit to our defense all offseason, and it's frustrating he goes unsigned for so long and then only signs for $6 million with Dallas. That's a total value deal that we could swing with our existing cap space or even cut Trent Murphy, sign Griffin, and still have money left over. Chase, I would have done that in a heartbeat. I was tipped off on this a couple months ago where somebody that is in the no said keep an eye on the Bills when it comes to Everson Griffin and obviously the familiarity with Leslie Frazier. It's a great scheme fit. Everson Griffin was awesome last year. He had 70 quarterback pressures. He's been consistently outstanding throughout the course of his career. Yeah, he'd have been awesome. He'd have been a wonderful upgrade over Trent Murphy and a cheaper player. So pff, I would have done it. I, I can't tell you why they didn't, but obviously the Bills felt comfortable with what they had and you know that's that's what it came down to because yeah there's an opportunity to save money there and cut Trent and sign Everson Griffin but at the end of the day it's still not the full eight million right so if you cut Trent for an eight million dollar savings and you sign Everson Griffin for six then you you you've only created two million as opposed to the eight but look I think I'd rather have Everson Griffin than anything I think that he would he would have been uh, just so dynamic with Addison and Hughes and then of course you know. A.J. Epinesa, who's still going to get plenty of run this year. So, yeah, I would have done it. I I can't explain to you why they didn't do it. Bryce says, would you rather be trucked by Ed Oliver at full force or hit in the head by a football thrown by Josh Allen at full velocity? I think I would much rather get trucked by Ed Oliver at full force. First of all, I'm not just going to assume I get trucked. I probably will, but I'm going to stand in there and I'm going to take the hit. But – I mean Ed's obviously explosive and he's got natural leverage and he's a ball of muscle and he's gonna he's gonna have his way against me but I'm not taking a, a football to the head thrown by Josh Allen at full force. That guy hit 66 miles an hour at the NFL scouting combine. He could probably get it over 70 miles an hour at my head. I might not live. Yeah, I, I'll choose I'll take my chances absorbing a blow from Ed Oliver than a a football at my head by Josh Allen rockauto.com is a family business that's been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers they've got everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps motor oil and even new carpet whether it's for your classic or daily driver get everything you need and a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door the rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate you can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand specifications and prices that you prefer Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low, and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure you write locked on in there, how did you hear about us, Box? so they know that we sent you. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need over at rockauto.com. Next one here comes from Dan, who says... I know you have big concerns about the cornerback two position. Can Isaiah McKenzie get some run? Give me your scouting report. Hashtag McKenzie Island. So listen, I I don't know if you're serious on this, Dan. Um, I think Isaiah McKenzie does have some cornerback traits in terms of mobility, quick feet, fluid hips. Um, I think he's obviously a liability as a ball handler. I tweeted out the other day some startling statistics about Isaiah McKenzie's ball handling history. So far in 38 career NFL punt return attempts, he has four muffs. He has eight fumbles in 124 career NFL touches. He had 12 fumbles in college for a fumble rate of one in every 14.4 touches. So I obviously have great concern about Isaiah McKenzie as a ball handler um, because he's given us reason to have great concern. Those are terrible numbers. And so because I do have concerns about him as a um, as a ball handler, I don't necessarily like the idea of giving him the football. Uh, now, I, here's the thing. I mean, like, he's 5'7", 173 pounds. There's, while there's not many receivers that are playing at that size, there's definitely not a lot of cornerbacks that are playing at that size. Now you love the quick twitch and his speed, but I don't know. I don't know that he's a guy that I would want to uh, have to deal with uh, receivers at the catch point, and you know just how you know they can kind of bully him and bump him. So I I don't know. I I don't think it's a great idea. Now he played. He played two snaps of cornerback last year, and I love to, to reference this because it's such a wonderful dig at Adam Gase uh, because it was that Week 17 game against the Jets. Isaiah McKenzie played two snaps. He was lined up over top of Robbie Anderson, and the Jets didn't go, over, go after that matchup. Unbelievable to me, so I love to bring that up and take a shot at Gase. But uh, no, I think that if Isaiah McKenzie is going to have a chance, it's going to be as a gadget type player on offense, and and that's what he was last year, and that's his best role. Uh, but you have to hold your breath because the guy is a proven uh, bad ball handler. Jay Hub says, and this is I'm I'm excited about this question. I I've always kind of wanted to dig into this and um, share some thoughts, because obviously I didn't host this podcast in 2017, um, and so this gives us a chance to revisit something and give you some of my thoughts. Uh, J-Hub said, I am thrilled the Bills extended McDermott. He has proven he has what it takes to win the NFL, but obviously every coach slash player has their warts. The obvious concern with McDermott is his decision to replace Tyrod Taylor with Nathan Peterman in the midst of a playoff run, then choosing Peterman to start a year later over Allen. I get that some players just look better in practice, but it took just one half of the Ravens games, Ravens game for fans to recognize that Allen was already far better than Peterman. I find it hard to believe that what the coaches saw in practice from Allen and Peterman could be dramatically different than what showed up on Sunday. What are your thoughts on McDermott swinging and missing twice in spectacular fashion at the most important position on the field? Thanks, I love the podcast. So, Let's go back. Let's deal with first of all Sean McDermott's decision to bench Tyrod Taylor while the Bills were 5 and 4 in the hunt for the playoffs and start Nathan Peterman against the Chargers. The previous week, Tyrod Taylor against the New Orleans Saints, a game that the Bills lost 47 to 10. Tyrod Taylor was 9 of 18 for 56 yards and an interception. Peterman came into that game. Now, while it was out of hand, and obviously the Saints weren't playing their normal defense, Peterman was 7 of 10 for 79 yards. The Bills were 5 and 4. The Bills were averaging 180 passing yards per game to that point in the season. It was week 11 through the first 10 weeks of the season. The Bills were averaging 180 passing yards per game to that point. Sean McDermott, probably looked at the situation and said, we're not getting production from our passing game anyways. Nathan Peterman shows this ability to make reads and keep the offense on schedule. He's done it in practice. He did it okay in the preseason. He looked competent against the Saints, and the Bills were fluttering at that point. They had lost several games. Things were getting out of hand. It's something that he probably did to take a swing and give them a chance it backfired. It didn't work out. It lasted a half. Tyrod Taylor came back. Tyrod Taylor finished the season. The Bills go to the playoffs. So he made a mistake. He didn't cling to it and he moved on. I think that's what's important to me is that making mistakes is okay. It's when you don't move on from mistakes that I get concerned. And he moved on, went back to Tyrod, everything went well. But when you're having that little of production in your passing game, why not? Why not? You're winning with, or you're doing okay with 180 yards per game. See what the kid can do. Hindsight's 2020. It worked out. But obviously, Peterman has done some things in practice throughout the course of his career that's leading NFL coaches to like him. John Gruden likes Nathan Peterman. Nathan Peterman's been a good player in the preseason. It's just whenever the regular season games happen, he's been dreadful. Then you flash forward a year later, the Bills go into the season with A.J. McCarron, who wants his chance to start and be the guy, Josh Allen, a raw rookie quarterback out of Wyoming, and then, of course, Nathan Peterman, who the only thing we saw was really five interceptions against the Chargers. A.J. McCarron wasn't going to work out. He's too selfish of a player. He wanted to be the guy. He wasn't an asset to the team. The Bills were... Very, very fortunate to recoup a fifth-round pick for him. Now you have Nathan Peterman and Josh Allen. I can completely understand your concerns that Josh Allen wasn't ready to play. You had surrounded him with an absolutely dreadful supporting cast, right? We we talk about it to this day. We talk about how bad that supporting cast was for the Bills – That year, the dreadful offensive line, the awful receivers. So, they didn't want to put their rookie quarterback into this awful situation. Now, while Josh is better than Nathan Peterman, and we saw that in that Ravens game, I'm not sure that Josh Allen was ready to play. And so, they probably wanted to buy some time. Well, again, Nathan Peterman plays so bad that you have no other choice but to put Josh Allen in there and move forward with him and start the Josh Allen era. Nathan Peterman, let's not forget, that 2018 preseason, he was unbelievable. Completed 81% of his passes for 431 yards, 10.5 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, a passer rating of 124.7. Nathan Peterman won that starting quarterback job. In that camp, in that preseason, he was far and away the best quarterback that preseason. He won the job. I don't. I don't. I can't think of one compelling reason that you can give me based on that preseason that Nathan Peterman wasn't the best quarterback between McCarron, Peterman, and Allen. He won the job. It didn't work out. Now you all of a sudden have these two halves. You know, the the first half against the Chargers, the first half against the Ravens, and you, there's nowhere to go from there. Peterman played so bad. There's nowhere to go from there. But I I can very much look at both of those decisions. The Bills were not getting any production from their passing offense and that Nathan Peterman absolutely won the job and understand why those decisions were made. Where I take comfort is in that he didn't cling to those mistakes. It didn't work out. He moved on. That's where I would take comfort. But I do have an overall concern with the Bills and how they've handled their quarterback rooms, to be completely honest with you. I don't think the Bills have done a good job evaluating backup quarterbacks and positioned themselves well to challenge their starter or have a meaningful backup that can keep things afloat because they went into this 2017 season with Tyrod Taylor and Nate Peterman. They go into 2018 with Josh Allen and Nate Peterman. They go into last year with Josh Allen and Matt Barkley. Now, fortunately, Barkley only had to play a little bit, but you feel like the team would have won 10 games last year if. Josh Allen missed significant time? I don't think so. And now we're going into this year with Josh Allen, Matt Barkley, Jake Fromm, Davis Webb. I don't think the Bills have done well to build good quarterback rooms. I don't think they have. So that's my bigger concern than those decisions. I understand why those decisions were made. My bigger concern is that they haven't done a better job of improving these quarterback rooms and setting them up with better depth So that way, if they need to bench a starter, or they need to challenge a starter, or if a starter goes down, that they have a reasonable backup because they've never proven able to do that in the three seasons that Sean McDermott's been the coach. That's probably my biggest gripe about the guy. Derek says, I just wanted to comment on Ed Oliver's incident. When things happened initially, Ed faced some heavy criticism and was subject to a vast amount of negativity from the media. Knowing what we know now, I feel he deserves credit for how he handled that situation. He earned a great deal of respect for me, and I appreciated his maturity within a difficult situation. One, do you think his handling of the situation could be attributed to the culture in which McBean are trying to cultivate? I want to be careful there. I think I think it plays into it. I think that Leslie Frazier, Sean McDermott have become mentors in Ed Oliver's life. I'm sure that there was good conversations about what happened and and, and uh, good conversations. Uh, advice on how to handle himself moving forward, and so I, I want to give the Bills some credit. I think that's that's worthy, but you know, Ed Oliver is still a guy who's lived his entire life up until 2019 outside of the Buffalo Bills, and I'm sure that he's had good support throughout his life that gave him the background and and um, wisdom in those moments, in, in those weeks and months that this was something that he had to deal with to be mature and handle it. So I think the Bills deserve some credit, but so does his support system that, um, you know, has helped get him to this point in his life. Uh, Number two, Derek says, how do you see the Bills defensive line breakdown as it currently stands right now in terms of defensive tackles and defensive ends when it comes to percentages of snaps? So here's my prediction on playing time uh, with the defensive tackle and defensive end. Rotation. So for Ed Oliver, actually for defensive tackle, Ed Oliver 70%, Vernon Butler 40%, Quentin Jefferson 45%, Harrison Phillips 40%, AJ Epinesa 5% at interior defensive line. At defensive end, I have Jerry Hughes 65%, Mario Addison 65%, AJ Epinesa 35%, and Trent Murphy 35%. That's how I see it as of today. Christopher says. Assuming they keep Trent Murphy, does Daryl Johnson have a shot at the 53 and why or why not? If he doesn't, do you think he clears waivers for a practice squad spot? I love his upside and I hope he can stick around, but I'm afraid he would be snatched off the waiver wire. See, this is something that I've kind of mentioned a few times on this podcast. I think part of the the Trent Murphy decision, whether to keep him or not, is the development of Daryl Johnson and what he looks like right now. Did he get stronger? Because last year the guy played 22% of the Bills' defensive snaps and he was a four-phase special teams player. And he was a good four-phase special teams player. And when you're talking about your fourth defensive end, you normally don't get those types of contributions on teams. Now Christopher's question was specifically assuming they do keep Trent Murphy, is there a path to the roster for Daryl Johnson? And I think it's very challenging to see that coming to fruition because you're going to keep Hughes, Addison, in this scenario you're keeping Murphy, you're keeping Epinesa, that's four. So unless you keep five defensive ends, which is pretty uncharacteristic of a Sean McDermott football team, I don't see the path. So I I don't I, I, I don't I don't know that if if Murphy makes a team that Daryl Johnson does, and if he does make the team and the Bills have to expose Daryl Johnson to waivers, I'm pretty sure he would get snatched up because. I would, I would certainly want to have him. You know, there's some teams out there that don't have a type of edge depth that the Bills do. Would love to get a player like Daryl Johnson to develop and and see what they can get out of him. So I would be nervous that he wouldn't, he wouldn't make it to the practice squad. Next one here comes from Jeff, who says, "Do you feel that there may be a looming issue with Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde getting up in age for future seasons?" especially in playoff runs. They've both been in the NFL for around seven years. I know you've talked about the Bills' future and the longevity in all positions, especially running back, but what about safety? We haven't found a solid backup, and I worry it's a grass is greener on our side right now regarding that issue. What can you expect us to do in the next draft to improve, and what can you expect from Micah and Jordan for the couple of years they'll stay in their prime? So, Yeah, Poyer and Hyde are getting older. They're both 29 years old right now. I don't think that they are close to not being high-caliber players for the Bills. I think they probably both have three to four very good seasons left where they'll play at the level that we're used to seeing them at. Um, I'll give you some current safeties in the NFL and their age, and they're all high-level players. Earl Thomas is 31 years old. Devin McCourty is 33 years old. Harrison Smith is 31 years old. Kareem Jackson is 32 years old. Patrick Chung is 33. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins is 32. And then just as a reference point, Roman Harper, uh, when he was with Sean McDermott in 2014 and 2015 and played well, Roman Harper was 32 and 33 in those seasons respectively. So I think you have – I think you have till they're about thirty-two, thirty-three until you get very nervous. And now the Bills are in pretty good shape. Now they have Poyer locked up for three more years after this year, and they have Hyde for this year and next year. So they're in good shape where they're not tied up with these guys. And if they show signs of decline, that you know that they they are in position to move on. But I do think it's important to uh, do two things here. Number one, acknowledge how important they are for your defense and I've mentioned several times that I think these guys are absolutely the glue of this unit. They are part of the engine that makes it a top-tier unit, and you don't want to lose that. And so I do think it's important to acknowledge how important they are to the unit and then understand that by making sure that you have the depth groomed up, that you have their successors in place so that when when they're, when they're they're about done, you have those guys that can step in. But I think the Bills are probably too two more years away from really being nervous about decline from Poyer and Hyde. And remember their safeties they are not corners. And I get more nervous about decline and, and, and skill and athleticism at corner than I do at safety. We talk about all the time when, when guys reach their, their plateau at corner and they start to decline that you try them out at safety and see if they can salvage the, you know, the, the final years of their career. Well, these guys are already safeties. And so, you know they're they already kind of have the benefit of the doubt when it comes to that part of their their decline because they're not they're not transitioning they're already playing the position so I think it's good to be mindful of this um, but I still think the Bills are probably two three years away from being super concerned about these guys not being you know the caliber of players that we've come accustomed to them seeing. Jonell says. Can you compare Eric Wood with Mitch Morse, both at Morse's point of his career and who projects to end up being better? Interesting talking point here. You know, the bills were sold on Eric Wood. One of the first things Brandon Bean did as general manager of the football team was extend Eric Wood's contract. And then obviously the, the neck injury uh, showed up and he was forced into retirement. And then, of course, they signed Mitch Morse to a big money deal. So the center position is an important one to Brandon Bean. You think back to Carolina, they had Ryan Khalil, a high-caliber center for a long time over there. Eric Wood and Mitch Morse, I think, are are different players but of similar impact. They win in different ways, but they make the same impact on the team. They're both big-time leaders uh, that, that really kind of uh, are the anchor and gel of the of the, uh, the offensive line unit as a whole. For Mitch Morse, what really makes him a, a top player is his range, his ability to get out in space and connect with moving targets, Him, his ability to get out and, and execute on longer poles and climb to the second level, and, and in pass blocking. This guy's a wall. This guy doesn't give up pressure in pass protection, where I think Eric Wood is more of a um, – a people mover, a guy that has raw power that can move bodies at the line of scrimmage in ways that Mitch Morse really can't, uh, and brings an edge and a nasty demeanor to the position. Um, so different players, um, different skill sets, but I think in terms of impact, I think we will remember them both fondly. Now, hopefully, Mitch Morse uh, can stay healthy and, and and you know have at least as long of a career as Eric Wood had. You know he's. Only 28 years old. He's still got a ways to go before he can match Eric Wood in terms of years. Hopefully the concussion stuff never comes up again with Morse, and he anchors the offensive line for several more seasons. So, again, kind of the buzz phrase here to respond to this is different players but similar impact. Look to your right says, if Josh Rosen is cut, should the Bills bring him in as a backup? Is he even an upgrade over Barkley? I would be interested in Josh Rosen because I think he's an upgrade over Jake Fromm and Davis Webb. So if you could get him in a situation where he can be your QB3 on your practice squad, that would interest me. Um, Matt Barkley, the reason Matt Barkley has the most value to the Bills right now, unless it's like a, a high-caliber quarterback that becomes available that the Bills can sign to be their backup, Matt Barkley's value comes because he knows the scheme. Now, he doesn't have a high-level physical skill set. He's not necessarily a top-tier guy when it comes to execution, but his knowledge of the scheme is the most valuable thing about him right now. Obviously, he's great for Josh Allen and their relationship and what he means to Josh from a game plan perspective and just kind of being with him on the sidelines. But his value to the football team comes because of his knowledge of the system. So when you talk about Josh Rosen, who had trouble picking things up in Arizona and Miami, I don't trust him to come in and be a better backup than Matt Barkley. I would be interested in him as a QB three because I think he's a significant upgrade over Jake Fromm. Randall says, not sure if I missed you mentioning it in a previous pod, but I'm digging the new intro music. I was wondering if you could dip into the archives and walk through the evolution slash origins of all your intro songs since starting Locked on Bills, keep up the great work. So as part of me digging into the archives, Randall, I learned that this is the 390th episode of Locked on Bills that I have hosted. I became the host of this podcast on January 8th, 2019. We have done 390 episodes. So we're closing in on 400 of these podcasts and it's been a real thrill. I've, I've enjoyed it. Thanks so much for all your support. Um, The first intro song was Cult of Personality, Um, and I kept that from when we started the podcast in January 2019 up until later in the year, like in December of 2019. I pulled it, and the reason I pulled it, and we didn't have an intro song for a while, was because um, I didn't want to get sued. You know, it's, it's copyrighted music, and I didn't have the right to use it as the intro song. So to be completely candid with you, I, I became aware of that being potentially an issue, uh, through, you know, some communication that I received, um, from the lockdown podcast network and I needed to pull it. So, uh, copyright issues prevented that from being the intro song. Then, um, Adam Kennedy made the intro song. He, he literally, created that. He played those instruments and sent it over to me and it became the, um, the intro from like February, 2020 until just a week or so ago when I switched over to this one, I loved the intro that Adam sent over and, uh, gave it a solid run. I thought it was really good for the off season when we're kind of speculating and getting ready for a season. But now that we're kind of like in training camp mode, I wanted something that had some, some juice behind it and some upbeat uh, music to really kind of set the tone for our discussions. And so I found that uh, the current intro that you hear right now, it's royalty- free music that I is legal for me to use as the introduction. And so we're going with it. Now, I have done some different things in the past. Like I might come up with a creative um, intro where I've done like the bill's draft picks being announced, or I've done a certain play call. I've had some Marv Levy quotes on there. I had Kyle Williams uh, in his some of his quotes from time to time. Just to kind of spice things up, I've also done a few of the old Bills Boogie uh, songs. I don't know if you guys remember this. Uh, oldies One Hundred and Four used to put out a Bills Boogie cassette tape every year, where they would um, take oldies songs, but you know, rewrite them to be parody songs about the Bills opponent. So I had pulled some of those clips uh, last year, but um, that's kind of the evolution. Uh, I've always tried to have some fun with it, but. Right now, my focus is on making sure that I'm doing things legally, doing it the right way, and using royalty-free music that I have the right to use, and uh, not getting any trouble. So that's 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 the motivation and and uh, and where I'm at with it right now. So hopefully, you guys like the new intro. I like that it brings some energy to the beginning of the podcast, and uh, we'll roll with it for a while. But I like to mix it up every once in a while. It's it does take a little bit of effort to find it and pick something that you know I, I like. So there's a time investment there. But, you know, I, I do like to, from time to time, see what I can find and maybe pull, um, a clip or something. So we'll, we'll continue to, you know, keep you on your toes a little bit as I, I have time and, and the creative juices are flowing for improving the intro music. All right, folks, we did it. It's our first episode of herd mentality. And the good news is we're doing it again tomorrow. So we have a bunch that are left over that I couldn't get to today. Uh, Vito, Rob, Samantha, Edgar, Jack, Nick, John, Mark, Ryan, Vin, Pete, Michael, and Evan. Yours are all coming tomorrow. So thanks for your patience. Had a ton of great submissions this week. And um You know, didn't want to rush through it, and um, I don't think we could have done 13 more today, to be completely honest with you, and me not get yelled at for going too long in the podcast. So we'll save the rest of those for tomorrow. Don't miss it. Make sure that you are subscribed, rate, review, and share the podcast, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.